Yo, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? It's a new year, so let's start off by saying Happy New Year to all the people that are out there. For those that don't know, I go by the name of Q. Harrison Terry. I am the author of the NFT Handbook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. And if you don't know, the NFT Handbook is your guide to learn everything about NFTs, from how they're created, how to buy them, how to collect them, how to do whatever you really need to. This show that you're about to watch, because we're we're doing some some new things. We're now entering the video verse, right? This is our first show where we actually have live video as well. So if you're listening via audio, you don't only have to listen in your car and on your daily commutes. You can now check us out live from your YouTube or wherever you like to watch your videos. And uh, yeah, this is this is new for me and Cowdery. Yeah, I had to I had to trim up the beard for this one, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know that's what I've realized. There's not a lot of content out there about you know NFTs that is also visual. So ideally, you know, with this show, we can now showcase some of the fascinating NFTs that we've been talking about is as it has been in what 2021, 2022. So exactly, yeah. I want to talk about blue chip NFTs because I feel like that's what the name of the game is all about now, right? If you are into NFTs, I think the thing that most people have realized is you have to have some type of precedent. Like you have to be based in something. Like how do you know if your NFT is worth, worth anything? And I don't think you can only rely on these rarity tools because if you do that, you're going to be stuck in this never-ending game of I have, you know, edition 158 and it's rare because it has these five traits. But what we've quickly realized in the past nine months is that nobody really cares about those traits, do No, no, it's it's just about ownership and a floor price, you know. Um, but that's, you know, who, who knows? Maybe collectible NFTs really don't ever become, you know, reach blue chip status. Uh, I, I think that you like you really think that the collectible NFTs will never really like so like let's talk about collectible NFTs for a second. So like the yeah. punks, I think that they've reached blue chip status. But is that because they're a Genesis drop or what do you think there? So I've got a theory that like every every new category creator or format creator for NFTs, like the first one or the first notable one is going to become a blue chip product, you know? So I think that um obviously punks have you know for for what it seems as of now they probably are a blue chip nft right um i would agree with that yep and you know only time will tell 10 years from now but i also think uh you know they they showed us the wave with the pfps and profile pictures and you know 10k things so they kind of created that format and then you see all these other people copy it which only like makes this original kind of worth more in my opinion right you know you have all these people copying the format um and, and the original is kind of the the cool one at the end of the day so i think that like category creators or people who create a new format of nfts will exist uh as blue chip nfts and i, I think like obviously blue chip status is like a retrospective thing so we can't it's like predicting right now would be like you know in 1920 being like Oh, what are gonna? What's gonna be the most rare car that we can own? You know, it's like you yeah. got you only had the Model T back then. You only had a couple options. You didn't even right. you didn't even consider that you know for Enzo Ferrari would go and make cars and Rolls well, Royce and all these things. Well, the, the the thing about that right is you know when you ask what where does value originate, and when I think about it, I think about value originating from the community, 
because it's really the community that that creates the value for you. And, and in mm-hmm. the case of the Model T Ferrari, uh, I mean, not the Model T Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I want one of that's those. Still, that's how it's going to fly, though, the Model T Ferrari. <laughs> but in the case of your Model T analogy, right, uh, it's the car enthusiasts that create the value for the 1920 uh, Model T. And when you think about it, you're like, if the if the car enthusiast community was not there, would there ever be an opportunity to own a car that's almost a, a hundred, that's over a hundred years old? Probably not. I mean, we don't see, I don't mean, I don't see Telegram selling for that much. Like the machine, like, you know, I don't, I don't see that happening. Xerox machines aren't, aren't worth anything today. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't see that happening. So like, I think that like, it's the community and that that's what we've seen with these NFT projects. Even if you look at like the punks or the board API clubs or, uh, some of the newer projects, it's the community that's carrying these things. So as long as they can keep that community going, maybe that is the, the, like, which community has the most potential to become a blue chip project. Yeah. That's probably a better way to frame it. Um, because like, I think inevitably there are going to be, you know, kind of more so like one-off artists that become blue chip creators. You know, I think that Beeple is, is, is the standard, right. You know, where it's like, oh, this guy, He's not necessarily issuing, you know, a, a, a 10K project, but he's creating art. He's kind of like, you know, just he does them every day, but there's a lot of other creators who might put out a piece once a month or like a couple a year. Right. And so like their community is so much smaller. Um, the people, the number of people that are enthused by it, you know, that like like looking at the stuff is massive. But the number of people who actually collect it is very small right and so i think that that's also like when you talk about community what's it's kind of like there's a subset do you have the the grand community of people who look at your thing but you also have the smaller community of people who actually own it and i think both have to kind of play a part in it right you know you have the people who can afford what you're putting out but also just the people who are, are there to be a voice and to share your stuff right no that's real that's real that's super real like i i i i agree so moving onward a little bit, like, I think we agree that like, there's, there's the community element that creates the, the blue chip NFT and like, that's what perpetuates it. But what else, like, what, what else do you think makes a blue chip artist? So I want to kind of go back to a, a older conversation that you had had. And the reason that we're even putting together this podcast episode on blue chip NFTs is we, we had had a Twitter space about this a while back uh, with David Sally. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, obviously huge, huge artists in just the contemporary art scene now kind of dropping his own NFTs. And he had a great perspective on like what creates blue chip status in the traditional art world. And a lot of that is when, when you're saying blue chip status, it's, you've essentially created a consensus around like the art world, right? You're, you've, you, you know, unconsciously a bunch of people have had this consensus and been like, yeah, that's super valuable art. We all believe that it's super valuable art. And like consensus is often created by what, like what David was saying is it's created by gatekeepers, right? You know, you have your galleries, you have your auction houses, you have your tastemakers. All of these are gatekeepers who, uh, you know, whether they work in unison or just kind of in their own little silos and create this consensus, they've all, you know, the gatekeepers are the ones who, you know, kind of put the art in the door, they get the right eyeballs on it. And then they, you know, over time, this consensus is created that it perpetuates itself where it's like, 
oh, this guy was in the Louvre. Of course, we're going to keep like kind of putting his stuff on auction and we're going to keep doing this and that. And so you kind of have, you know, the, 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 the players in the space are the ones at, the ones who kind of create this uh, blue chip status just by continually perpetuating this cycle. And, you know, when you talk about NFTs, there's not necessarily those, those types of gatekeepers. You know, every marketplace has their featured section and people have their own virtual galleries, but the gatekeepers aren't quite as solidified. Well, do you think they'll come with time? Like, I think that there's a, there's a point to say, you know, this industry in its current state is, is barely a year old. Yep. Oh, I, I definitely think the gatekeepers will come. You know, it just happens naturally, right? You know, where somebody, right, right, right. somebody does a really cool, like, digital art showcase that we've never seen before. And now all yeah. of a sudden, it's like, oh, you know, this dude's great at putting together digital art events. We're going to trust this dude to put together the next one and the next one. And then all of a sudden, it's like, naturally happens. And you're starting to see the who's who of crypto kind of unfold before our eyes, right? Like you mentioned Mike Winkleman people earlier, and we can go even beyond that and look at uh, Colburn Bell, you know, from the Museum of Crypto Art. And like, mm -hmm. you know, there are people that have influence that are, you know, like Zach at Super Rare. Like, you know, when you start to think about who are the gatekeepers, there are people that can literally change your life in this whole game. Like Pack is another is another one. Yeah, so. I, I mean, even even if you if you kind of do the reverse of it, you know, a gatekeeper right now for the NFT market are actually, you know, the whales and the bidders, you know, like. You think so? I do think so. Uh, in a very small, in a very small, hard to recognize sort of way, you know, but um, it's a lot easier for, you know, somebody to come through it who's, who's got a thousand ETH and say, hey, I'm going to buy up this whole series of things from somebody. And yeah. now all of a sudden it's like, Oh, oh my gosh, you know, Amir or Mondwar just bought a hundred of this person's art, you know, like what's going on here? And I think we saw it, we saw it take place with, um, over the summer, right when we started NFTQT, right. twin, twin Flames, uh, which was this photography project that had existed for a minute, uh, where this guy just photographed a bunch of twins, right? And he had right. a series of 50 of them. I remember looking at it and we saw, um, we basically saw the floor price jump from like five ETH to 20 ETH because some guy bid 20 ETH on one of them, a big, bigger, bigger name guy. And all of a sudden, a month later, the whole floor price has raised like 10X, you know? And so it kind of, you know, sometimes it, all it takes is one guy to bid on something that all of a sudden it becomes a tastemaker, right? For sure, for sure. And you know, what's, what's fascinating about that too is, you know, I agree that the whales definitely have a perspective. They also have some influence because yeah, I'm starting to see it too. There's a, like, uh, there was a couple of projects. I'm going to check my, my phone and people text me literally as soon as Gary V buys something, as mm -hmm. soon as, uh, you know, someone else apes into it. Like alien friends is a project that, that soared because they got the right collectors, right? Um, mm -hmm. crypto Maurice is also another one that that soared because they got the right collectors. And like, these are projects that are, we're mentioning them now, like the floor, you might have to spend, you know, one and a half ETH, but like, if it does anything like a board ape yacht club or any of these other projects that we've seen at similar stages, you know, that's why people are, are rushing into these projects and that they're tracking the wallets is because they're really trying to get rich. Like they're just trying to say like, Hey, and we're also seeing a rush towards altcoins right now. Like a lot of altcoins 
are starting to see, you know, price movement. I don't know if you saw the Doge Bros or um, what. Uh, there's a there's a Beepop coin, like <laughs> Boy Beepop. So like there's a like there's an altcoin movement that's like happening. And and you know what's funny is they're not even on uh, like the uh, they're on Pancake Swap. They're on uh, Poo Coin. Like they're like they're, there's a whole another realm that like you know the NFT uh, wallet watchers have started to uh transcended to and so when you talk about the influence of like wallet watching and, and what that has led to i mean you're right like i think that you know nfts inevitably brought forth a new era of wallet watching one that like i don't think we even had in the DeFi or like the bitcoin era because like in that era you were watching the whales with like who had massed a bunch of tokens but like mm-hmm. that was it they didn't have personality or like they didn't like go and like you know flex on people too often they were trying mm-hmm. to stay anonymous now it's like yeah, I am this wallet. I do have this collection. Follow me. And like, I can make or break your whole career. And so it's, yeah. it's, it's, it, it is, it, that is a gatekeeper. It is funny. You, you mentioned wallet watching. Cause it is, I remember when we were putting together the top 100 uh, sales list initially, and we were trying to track down the, the buyers of each of these like massive sales, right? You know, yeah. 200 plus ETH sales back over the summer. And it was, I, I was fascinated because you'd go to Dapp Radar and you can, you could put somebody's uh, wallet address in and it'll show their entire portfolio. You know, like if you yeah. go to OpenSea, you can look at people's NFTs, but if you're on Dapp Radar, it breaks it down to, you know, the value of your NFT collection, the value of how much you've put in DeFi, uh, other notable coins that you hold. And it was just like, this is so fascinating to see like, now I can look at somebody's entire crypto portfolio at once. And like you said, wallet watching kind of has this, this, uh, you know, force behind it. No, for sure. And you know, what's crazy is like, there's a, there's a company called Nansen AI. Yeah. Yeah. Nansen. Yep. Yeah. And like, Nansen's going crazy, like because of the wallet watchers, like, like yep. their whole business exists because people want to do on-chain analysis. They want to wallet watch and yep. like, there's a whole new, I'm going to call them geeks. There's a whole new era of geeks that mm-hmm. will know Nansen, that will know uh, DAP Radar, that will know um, probably how to use, uh, what's Etherscan? Like, because, you know, if, using Etherscan is not an easy skill set. Like, no, not at all. It's not an easy skill set. And, like, I think it's a geeky, it's a geeky thing that you can geek out on. And if you get good with it, dude, there's going to be, in the next year or so, a whole a whole, whole, whole division of analysts that emerge that just know how to use these tools. And they're going to give insights to the creators, the collectors, the observers, like for the market, et cetera. And like, we're starting to see it. And it's funny because like traditionally the gatekeeper would do that, but because the transparency and the decentralized nature of the blockchain, anyone can kind of build these skills and get, and get into it. So even if you wanted to learn about NFTs, I would say what wasn't available a year ago was this whole concept of being able to look at the on-chain data, look at the wallets, see what history they have and the historical significance, what's in their wallet. So like, you know, go and see who has, what, where, like if for the majority of apes, what are they collectively buying into? Because instead of just watching Gary V and seeing what he's buying or seeing what, you know, Takeoff is buying, why don't you take a step back and see what that community is buying? Because we just said mm-hmm. communities create value for blue chip, right? And so in order to, to, to go further, what you could do is you can say, let me go get real good at Nancy. Let me go get real good at DAC Radar. Let me go get real good at reading Etherscan. Let me get quick with that. 
because that's a competitive advantage that wasn't available just a year ago. So true. I, I love that point. I, I think wallet watching could probably be a whole uh, podcast because like also there's something to it where to your point, it very much needs to be like someone's full-time job and a tool is not enough because yeah. guess what? You know, like if, if, if just Stephen Curry, like if you all of a sudden happen upon Stephen Curry's wallet where it's like, okay, he dropped, you know, uh, a bunch of money on his board ape when he bought in, but he was late to the game. I don't yeah. care to know what else he's collecting. I care to know who the, you know, the first hundred people who bought board apes, what right. else are they buying today? And like, you right. know, cause that's, that's way more important to, to know, okay, who are the people that are just a little bit ahead of the curve? Or run analysis is on all the people that have power cells, right? Or pair cells and see what are they, what are they buying? Like, you know, how are they upgrading their land? And like, what's becoming fascinating to just different communities? Because like this, this is the first time where you have that layer of transparency because of the blockchain. And I think that like, if I were getting into NFTs today, I probably would consider learning those tools and those skill sets because they're not easy, right? Like, I understand is not it's not intuitive right that radar is confusing because sometimes you look at it it's one thing and you look at it another day it's another thing and you've got to get a feel for for reading that data when we were mm-hmm. writing the book you know nansen wasn't as cold as it is today like you know there just wasn't that many uh transactions so like this, this the data that is accessible because of the blockchain and like how open source it is it's just it's just, it's just fascinating man it's it's phenomenal to be honest Definitely. I want to kind of bring it back to what we're talking about. I know that we kind of went off with gatekeeping and then wallet watching, but I think ultimately what we're kind of driving, the the irony of this conversation is that we're making a prediction on blue chip NFTs, like ultimately, because the only, the only factor that the only variable that matters right here is time, you know, a, a blue chip status is just, okay when the market has seen so many ups and downs, this thing has stayed steady and constant. Right. And like, right. we're only going to know that with time. And then when I think about time, it's so fascinating. Cause like, I look back, you know, the projects that we covered a lot and we were super fascinated by and like, wow, this is a total game changer format pusher. Like this thing's going to be good for years. Like, and then, you, you know, a month later, no one's talking about it. You know, I think a great example is the Tom Sachs Rocket Factory. Like, I thought that was one of the coolest ideas or concepts right off the bat that, you know, they, they kind of were one of the first uh, to have this idea of collect multiple NFTs so that you can, you know, essentially generate a new NFT. And you saw right. then Board Ape knew it with like the mutant serum and all right, that right. stuff. And like, you know, I look at Tom Sachs and I'm like, dang. You know, he still does his rocket launches. People still collect them a little bit, but it doesn't have that same like 10,000 ETH volume in a week excitement that it once had. And so I think that like sustaining momentum over time is so tough right now. It's going to be key to if you want to sustain momentum right now, it's key that you have a crypto native buyer, right? Because, you know, in the Tom Sachs case, maybe you have a bunch of new wallets that are just getting Ethereum for the first time. And they blow a lot of their Ethereum getting into the, the Tom Sachs project or they aped into something else, right? And so when you don't have any more Ethereum, it's not easy to just go buy some more magical internet money and put that in there and just keep spending it, right? People want to either make money or they want to like learn from it. And so like when you have a crypto native buyer that is used to doing this, 
I think that they're okay trading crypto for digital objects and experiences. And like, I look at like the meta crew, uh, which is a derivative of the meta key, right? So the meta key, which was an early NFT project we covered on nftqt.com. Um, not too, that was actually, that was almost, that was a year. That was almost a year ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we included them in the book when we wrote the book Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we start so, writing the book about a year ago. Yeah. So it's like, you know, we, we, yeah. So that's crazy, right? It's like they've evolved their community into something that looks entirely different than what they initially promised, but not different in a bad way. It's different in a good way, but that's because they have a crypto native community, right? So they're having fun with like the, they were making partnerships with NASA and doing, you know, uh, customized gear and drops for Decentraland way before Nike was going in and buying these, these uh, companies. Way before uh, you had like uh, even like notable celebrities talking about NFTs. And so mm -hmm. I think that, like, cause they were talking about bringing celebrities and like, that was the first group that I think showed me the potential of the celebrity and the NFT. Like it was the meta key. It wasn't any other project because they were on that literally on day one. Hmm. That's an interesting take. Yeah. Cause I mean, their whole premise was like, yo, we're going to do exclusive events for our members with exclusive with exclusive people we're gonna they have the 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 meta academy remember where you, you go get access to it and we're gonna have the community teaching that community the premise of that stuff is good what tom Sachs did with the rockets it's good i think these projects have what the dna of a, they have what we will initially look back and say is this the dna of a blue chip project there yes the community is going to be a big factor but then when you come back and you look at it through uh, your rose-colored glasses, what's going to be really fascinating is the compare and contrast between that project of then and now. Like, who's learning from Tom Sachs and implementing it? Because mm -hmm. if you're a first mover, what we've learned in the NFT space is you're going to have 1,600 copies of whatever you do, right? Like, so there's going to be 1,600 knockoffs just about of whatever you put out there first. And 1,600 so, on each chain. So multiply oh, by like five because every chain will have. <laughs> no, like, like legit. And like, if you're trying, if your game is to play whack-a-mole, you're dead, right? Your game is to innovate. So if you're the first mover, you have to continuously innovate and you got to rock with your community and make your community the best and baddest community for whatever you introduced. And that's been true for every single project. I even think like, some of the Genesis projects, it's not as true, but they're Genesis projects, meaning that like, if I look at a CryptoPunk, not much has changed between a CryptoPunk then and now. They have a lot more notoriety and like there's a, it's a status symbol. It's like a flex, but like the community of CryptoPunks is more like, yeah, I have a CryptoPunk in my wallet. You don't. But they use nah. right? Like Larva Lab said like, hey, like we understand what our flaws were here and like, let's do the next project. And they had several other projects and like they're working on the Meebook that's project right now. And like, there's there's a very strong community there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and part of this is it's like, you want to see more volume of ideas, right? You know, yes. for a given yes. project. You want to see them, you know, every month doing something new or unique or damn near every couple of weeks, you know, to yeah. keep people's interests align but the problem is you know now that like the the it seems like the consensus of how you make an nft project cool and you keep your community going is to go into the metaverse and create these virtual experiences and as you know those take a lot of time to put together a lot of different moving parts and i kind of am like 
there's got to be more ideas outside of we're going to create this virtual space and do cool things there, you know? For sure, for sure. I mean, but you, when you ask people what do they want to do in the metaverse and, and how do they want to experience NFTs, most people want to show them off. They want to be in a space with their friends where they can talk about it. Remember, we had the, the conversation with Benny Orr about the meeting place and like what what that would all ultimately turn into and what Krista Kim was was envisioning. So like we 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 kind of know that people want to hang out. I just don't think we've decided what that destination is. And, you know, even in our conversation with Spatial, I spent some time there and I was able to actually get some of those NFTs. And like, I'm, I'm enamored to see my NFTs in a virtual environment. But like the question is in 2022, which one of these metaverse experiences is going to win out? So then you can get what you're asking for right now. Like what's, what's beyond having like, you know, just your standard rudimentary programming. And like, mm -hmm. what is the engagement? What's the activity? How do we go skiing together in the metaverse? And then like, I can rock my cyber uh, crypto punk 4,000, like the knockoff, you know, gener regenerative project uh, on my chain while I'm skiing. Like, cause we're <laughs> going to get there. I mean, like, we're going to get there. Like, I mean, like I've got a lot of board ape gear in, in, in Decentraland. Um, I haven't decked my avatar out yet, but it, it came when I was, when I was in Apeville. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think like part, part, part of me wants to just say that it's tough to stay intrigued and interested in these. One, if they're not like going up, like if they're going up in value a ton, it's so easy to just like keep keep watching a project, keep interested in it to keep engaged. And that's what we're talking about, right? Is like the community has to stay interested and engaged and continue talking about it for you to stand the test of time, right? Yeah. And I think like part of it too is it's just it's still to, to stay engaged. You definitely have to be that crypto native person, like you said, because for me, it's like, I don't spend a lot of time on discord. So like the three NFTs that I think are actually valuable in my wallet, I don't even spend enough time on discord to know what's new, what's going on. You know, that's why I think you've got to get away from NFTs and crypto, right? I think NFTs are a means for uh, you to support an artist digitally or to support a brand digitally. It's like, it's like no different than like uh, owning a, a physical good, right? Where like you 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 buy an Apple phone because you identify with Apple, the company, the brand, you like their products and their service. You don't really care to know what their encryption standards are, what the latest like microprocessor there is, is. If you want that information, it's there. Like you can go and they have white papers. They'll tell you what, what which bionic chip is in your phone. But the problem with that being is with NFTs, everyone leads with that. They go in and they get to the nitty gritty. They say, hey, this is on this chain. This is doing this. This is doing that. Because it's all nerds. But like the day you get like, um, I know you're a big fan of Peter Vu. If Peter Vu just said like, yo, Ryan, support me. I'm making an art. I'm making these prints. I sketched them on my phone. Uh, you can get one. Mm -hmm. Here you go. And like, I'm just going to, the, 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 NFT is just the, the format that I'm going to give you this stuff in so that way you can ensure that nobody else has what I'm giving you. Then you're supporting Peter Vu. That community doesn't have to live on discord. Like, it's just like his community is however many people want to support him at any given moment. It's just the NFTs are the format. And basically like, this is why I find what Adobe did this week. Very fascinating where they're saying, Hey, we're going to allow you to create the NFT right from the, the Photoshop application. So we're not even going to mess around with you exporting this without your metadata being synced. Go ahead, sync your MetaMask. Click the marketplace you want to put this on. And then go ahead and mint 
right from here. So it's an end to end transaction. We're going to see more of that. And what they're doing is Adobe is saying, look, you already know how to use Photoshop. You ain't got to go and learn solidity. You don't have to go and learn how to, you know, jump through all these hoops. Just get you a MetaMask wallet and get you an OpenSea account and like figure it out and like <laughs> go and, and go talk to the people you already know. And like, it's going to be, it's going to be weird. I think for a, a little bit, cause we're in this in-between phase, but as the tech goes to the background and the creators come to the foreground, what's going to be fascinating is you're going to see people just do incredible stuff. Like look at Mike, Mike Winkleman, largely he's never really talked about NFTs. He just put mm -hmm. his work out there. It was just, it was very long, right? He'd been doing that for like, you know, 10, 10 plus years. That's a, that's a, that's a heavy dedication, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's, that's dedicated. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people aren't 10 years into the game. A lot of people now are one year into the game, but there are going to be some people this year that don't talk about NFTs, but been creating what you would call an NFT for a long time. And they're going to be very successful because they're going to learn how to sell without saying discord NFT, this and that, and their, their community is going to trust them because they're not shilling them anything. I like that take a lot. I think what, what you're kind of creating is a, you're redefining it instead of thinking about blue chip NFTs. It's like, who are the next blue chip digital creators in a sense? Yes. You know, yes. NFTs are a way to sell your, your, cre your creations as a digital creator. Um, but like, you know, let's just, let's just say we moved uh, this current NFT timeline a decade earlier and it happened in, instead of in 2021, it happened in 2011. You yes. know, we look at a guy who we admired a lot as a digital creator, Paul Jarvis, you know, right. who puts out, you know, software hit after software hit good books, like a lot, like he's, he's, if you don't know who Paul Jarvis is, go check him out. Like he's, he was our idol as a, like, you know, a digital nomad who just created stuff from his basement and like had an audience of 10,000 people who were just going to buy everything that he put out software wise. Like to, to me, he's got a better chance of being, you know, this blue chip NFT dude, than let's say, you know, only because it's top of the head, like a long necky lady, you know, even though she's young, she's got like time magazine talking about her. Um, you know, we've got, it's, you know, multiple. Trust. No, you're, you're spot on. It's the trust. Like the, 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 where people in Paul Jarvis are similar is they both have been talking to a community and presenting and showcasing their work for almost 10 plus years. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when they go to the marketplace, whether they want to sell NFTs or they want to sell courses, they're going to have an advantage over the person that just starts, you know, a generative 10 K project in their backyard tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Even if that generative 10 K project does 10 million in revenue, you know, yeah. I think that's, that's the thing too, is like, you kind of have to, if you want to talk about blue chip NFTs, obviously you have to for your predictions. You have to think about what are valuable ones already, but it can't be the whole equation, you know, cause like sure. we just, we've seen floor prices dump so quickly. Like I'm looking at, loot for adventurers i remember when the floor price on that was like 13 eth yeah. and it's, it's two today you know and right. that would have fit my whole mold of like oh if you if if you are a category creator or a format creator right your nft is going to be blue chip but guess what like it, it's kind of fallen out of favor i think that brands and creators and just concepts that people trust it when they go into this technology and they create their version of an nft it automatically is kind of blue chip now, I think if the industry wants to acknowledge that or not, I think that that's a, that's a fair question to be had. But I think blue chip is 
an NFT that you can look at and say, this comes from a trusted brand or creator. And, and when I say trust, trust does not mean that you just started your, 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 that trust does not mean you're a life coach at 21, right? <laughs> like you, you need to have some years, you need to have some experience, you need to have some credibility and some substance to your name. And, 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 and that's what allows you to carry it over to your audience. And then there's an education element that needs to take place because, you know, your audience might not be crypto savvy. They might not have wallets. They might not be uh, fascinated by OpenSea or they might not want to bid, but that doesn't mean you can't use NFTs. It just means that the conduit at which you use and interface with this technology changes. And that's why some of the, the intermediary uh, in between companies like the moon pays where you can, you, you know, you can buy crypto with a credit card. That stuff is needed because that's, what's going to allow a Paul to more easily get into this game because Paul's never going to care about you in his, in his wallet. Like, you know, he mm -hmm. might care about what's going to his wallet, but he's never going to care about what you're doing with your wallet. He's just going to say, buy this with a credit card. And like mm -hmm. the crypto diehards are going to be like, that's not an NFT, but the crypto diehards are missing the key point here. The key point is, the NFT is just a technology. The creators are the, the people that bring in the new wallets and that bring in the new users and that expand people's minds. And so we need to support them and we need to create like less friction between what it is, what it takes to make these things and what it takes to transact these things and what it takes to participate in the whole NFT verse, if, if that's what you want to call it. Because digital collectibles, They've been a thing. It's not like this just magically popped up and it, it came to life, you know, in 2020 or 2021. Like, you know, we were buying and transacting digital collectibles all the way back in 2015, right? Mm -hmm. Like, people looked at us as crazy, but like, I remember you had a fly ass keyboard. Yeah. Right? That I did. Yeah. Yeah. You skinned your whole keyboard and you were like, this is a one of one keyboard. And you were walking around and then people were like, hey, I want a one of one keyboard. And what did they do? They started buying our digital uh, art. And, that's, and that's, that's literally how we got a few sales. Ryan used to go around showing people his iPhone keyboard that was, it was a custom skin and they wanted that. And so they would go into our store and buy, you know, one of one edition so that they could make a custom keyboard. And, mm -hmm. you know, we, we, we got to this point largely because digital objects were a thing then. Mm -hmm. and like, you know, people just didn't know how to secure them. People didn't know how to transact them. NFTs made it easier, gave a, 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 a mental model that we can all refer to. And people saw others getting rich. So you saw the early adopters last year go ape into all these projects or go create these projects. But now you have an identity crisis because the projects are there, the communities exist, but we don't know who's going to st have staying power. And so mm -hmm. blue to me means... You don't have to worry about staying power. If I buy a Nike NFT, I have very, 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 very strong confidence that it's going to be a Nike NFT today, tomorrow, 10 years from now. I don't have that same confidence about some of these meme coins or some of these meme NFT projects that I, I, I participate in or I partake in. And that's okay. But to me, those aren't blue chip. Mm. No, I like, I, I kind of how I put together or with, you know, a synopsis of what you just kind of mentioned there is like, 
you look at a guy like Jeff Koons and he can put out any type of art that he wants now because he right. has that trust. It doesn't matter what the product is, the project, the end of it, you know, it's like he has created that trust. And uh, yeah, if he wants to, you know, sell dishwashers with, you know, inflatable uh, little dogs in them, he can do that, you know? And so hey, shout out yeah. to Jeff. He's a hustler Jeff. and a marketer and in and, and and an art genius, right? And when you see what, he, what he's done, I mean, like, you got to respect it, but he doesn't talk about the machine washer technology. He calls it art and he does what he does. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Cool. I, I like this. I think the bl blue chip NFTs, we'll see what, what comes of them, what, what ends up becoming, you know, what we consider to be blue chip NFTs. But I think that your point, many of the points we've made here are kind of, kind of you know, elements of it. For sure. For sure. Man, I'll catch you in the future. And for all the listeners that are checking this out right now, uh, let us know your thoughts, your comments. You can shoot me a tweet on Twitter or you can, you know, send me a DM on Instagram. I'll see all that stuff. And, you know, we want to continue the conversation. Also, if you are watching the video, let us know what your thoughts are. How can we improve this? This is our first rodeo when it comes to, you know, us doing the live stream and, and recording and editing in real time. So we need to get feedback so we can improve the whole process. So with that being said, we'll catch all y'all in the future. You can check out more of our content at nftqt.com and that's where we post all of the insights and fascinating projects that we stumble upon and if you want to really go deep 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 into the nft space that's where you'll find us <laughs>